Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. During the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, Rabbi Katz will be delivering an informal pre-Mincha study session on Zoom every day at 6.50 p.m. If you're interested in joining, please send an email to rabbidkatz at gmail.com indicating that you would like to be added to the Zoom meeting and you'll then be sent the link to access the Zoom learning session. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, a day before um, Arab Shavuos, and... Since the schedules are all different now, I figured let me hop around if I'm able to and say a few words about the upcoming holiday of Shavuos and then I'll be out in time and I won't have to worry about an Arab Yantif. Uh I do want to say that this talk is being sponsored by very good friends of mine, uh, Jan Kalevi and his wife, Mattel, who live in upstate New York and... Uh, Mrs. Yaakov Levy, Mattel's father's yard site, is coming up. They told me, Eli, Eli Rosenthal, Eli Oben Avram, uh, who apparently was a physical chemist, they sent me a whole thing on him. Uh, I didn't know that, uh, and was apparently a wonderful person, a big Balsadaka. And uh, the world has a lot of very nice people, but only the families know about all of them. Um, the yard site is... Yard Day is coming right after Shavuos, and uh, obviously, you can see by his children and grandchildren what a nice person he was. And so, but as a result of what we're saying, the Nisham will have an Aliyah this coming weekend. And now I would like to, uh, and as I always say, we're always grateful for all the sponsors. That's how I keep running these podcasts. The um, Shavuos is coming up. That's a toughie. I asked somebody to look what I did last year. I don't want to repeat myself, but rather call attention or think it was on somewhat different lines, and uh, which is all I can do. And I'll tell you where I'm coming from. As we know, Shavuos, you have Zaman Matan Torah Senu, and you also have Megillus Rus. Long ago, I mean, at the time of Mitzvah Sofrim, the custom developed to read Megillus Rus on Shavuos. Now why? doesn't say why. One of the classic reasons is because Rus is a Ger Tzedek and she got a Kabbalah Satovah because every Ger Tzedek, by definition, every Ger, but let's talk about Ger Tzedeks for a second, is automatically doing their own Shavuos. Uh, now Ger Tzedek is someone, for those who know what I'm talking about, there's like three levels the Rambam sort of indicates, and I've said this many times, there's a Gertzedek, there's a Gerb, and then there's a, uh, what we call, uh, you know, what we don't know what to do with. And a Gertzedek is someone who converts totally Lishma. Not to marry somebody, nothing like that whatsoever, but instead it's totally Lishma. Uh, that's not so common, what I just said. It's not unknown at all. There are plenty of people like that. But it's not common. Uh, then you have a Gerb. Not a Gertzedek, a Gerb. 
that's most of the time for marriage. Boy meets girl, girl meets boy. If it was up to us, we'd rather Jewish boy meets Jewish girl. We'd rather Jewish girl meets Jewish boy. I get it. Didn't happen that way. Maybe it's in college. But I'll shoot with anything. And so, uh, in the case I'm talking about, the non-Jewish partner is willing to convert. And, uh, and honestly undertakes all the obligations of Torah and mitzvahs that are connected with the conversion. So, to use simple language, the girl says she's going to become a, 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 an observant Jew, and she does. And she converts to marry the guy, but she's Shemr Shabbos, Shabbos, Kashos, Karim, Mishpachot, the whole nine yards. See, you don't call it Gerd Tzedek because if she hadn't met the guy, it never would have happened. On the other hand, she's as Jewish as you and I because she totally keeps the terms. that's all. And the other way around also, if it was a guy marrying a girl. Then you have the third category, you know, do we know what to do with it? They say they keep it, they don't keep it. They mean it, they don't mean it. They're obviously doing it only to get married for some ulterior motive. And they don't even... You know, keep what they promise. You don't know what they are. You know, it's very complicated to say somebody's not Jewish at all. It's a whole bummer. And this is one of the big political problems in Jewish life today, these lousy garrisons in Israel and in America. But the gold standard is a garrisonic. And that's Ruth. She's like classic for that. Because in the story, as we all know, she was a princess and she converted only... By the way, it doesn't say in the book She's a princess, but let's just go with that. She's a princess, and she converts at a time of poverty, and your people is my people, you know, your God is my God, and she uh, goes through suffering. At the end, it's a happy ending, but for a while, she suffered in poverty, so she totally did a lishma, and uh, fine. And we regard it, Gerard Tzedek is a very high madrega, which is why you say in Davening all the time, Al Tzedekim, Al Chazidim, Al Tzedekim, Al Tzedekim, Al Tzedekim, the Algerian said, we pray for them three times a day. It's I'm a Drega. Okay, so then, it's very nice, according to this theory. It's not in the Gemara anywhere. It's not in the, even the Masech Sofim exactly. But the theory is, Shavuos is Man Matan Torah Sinim. The Jewish people got the Torah, and Ruth got the Torah. She represents another side of Kabbalah Torah. Uh, that's fine. But I think I would suggest you go a little bit deeper into it. And we have something very interesting, because... Let's put it this way. How come the Jewish people required a whole song and dance? And Ruth did not. But the Jewish people, we had Kolos who broke him for Kol HaShofar and, uh, you know, uh, the Kol Godol below yourself. The whole Wizard of Oz business that is associated with the Maimon Arsini, that the uh, Chazal and the Medish Rabbis says, God says, I'll play out all my tricks. There's a Medish like that in Kisisa. I'll give him the whole, you know, uh, a light show. You know, with the thunder and fire and this and screaming and, and malachim and whatever. And ula, you know, halavai, maybe it'll work. And it didn't, it did. As I pointed out in the past, I think last year, it's very problematic what happened on Shavuos. They said Nasa and but then they made a golden calf, which led the Chazal in various places to say when they said Nasa and did they even mean it? And the Kabbalah Torah that you and I have today is the one from uh, Yom Kippur, the second tablets. You know, on the other hand, we make a big deal out of Shavuos. On the other hand, we do not make a big deal out of Shavuos. Nowhere in the Tanakh does it say that Shavuos is Man Matan Torah Without You know what I'm talking about. I don't want to go into all that. All it says in the Tanakh is that it's Yom Habikurim, which means the Shei Halechem. 
so you know the the, the story of Shavuos is man mantur is not pushed. And even when you go with the Chazals that's, that emphasize the fact that Zman Matan Tarasenu, you know, in the Gemara and places like that, in Shabbos, but they always emphasize the problematic side of it. For example, Kafalem Harkagigas, the Jewish would have to be forced into it. Well, in the story of Ruth, for example, or any Ger Tzedek, to be perfectly honest, there's, there's no Kafalem Harkagigas. Uh, so you tell me they're a higher Madrega? It's complex. And to my mind, today, it suggests there are two models of Kabbalah Torah. There's a collective one and an individualistic one. The collective one is a million times harder. The, if, if God would have taken the Jews to Mount Sinai and said, all those who are interested in accepting the Torah, step forward. And all those not, continue to have a ham sandwich. Gesundheit, hey, enjoy yourselves. I'm only interested in ones that are from, that want to do it. Uh, that's an interesting uh, situation. Then X number of people would have stepped forward. And a whole bunch of people would not. You understand? Moshe and his family. Yeah, yeah, you get what I'm saying. A lot of people would step forward, one hopes. And a lot of people would not. After all, a lot of people would say like this. We don't want to get... The Chazals, I'll tell you again. The Chazals are the ones who say, A lot of people say, I can't marry a sister anymore. I can't do this, can't do that. I don't like it. I don't want this religion. You get it? Uh, so the problem is not those who were ready, uh, you know, from day one, from moment one, to say, yes, we want the Torah, the frummies. The problem was the non-frummies. Now, that's just very interesting. Because, what do you do with a situation? And I repeat what I'm saying. This is not me talking. It's not even exactly in the Chumash, it sort of is, but it's a great length in the in the writings in the Chazal. Great length. Um... So what do you do with this phenomenon that you're trying to get a whole group to go along and accept the Torah and you have a whole bunch of members of the group that don't want to do it? You don't want to do it. That's the fascinating and realistic part of, uh, of Shavuos, right? And what's interesting is that it represents a communitarian model versus an individualistic model. It's very clear from the text that what Hashem has in mind is a collective model. Notice, he says, That's just interesting. A mamleches koanim is a polity. It's a group. It's a society. Now, uh, you know, it's a goy kadosh. Hashem doesn't say, I'll take from you the chasidim. I mean, the old, I'm using chasidim in the old sense. You know, the chasidim, the pietist, the ones who want to do it. Now, I want the whole group. I want to be a mamleches koanim. How do you do that? How do you expect everybody to be so great? People are not like that. A collective group is not like that. Even in traditional thought, by the time it evolved, you have this idea that I've said a million times, in which you have a seaboard, in which you have a, a, a spectrum. On one side are the chassinim vachemaisa, and the other side are the, you know, the prostitutes, the, 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 the bad people. And they're all part of Kali Yisrael. And so how do you expect, on Shavuos, everyone should be transported you know, and they should have a, a nirvana, and, you know, they should all jump high and say, yeah, we want the Torah and all the rest of it. It's, it's not realistic, you see? And, uh, by the way, this analysis is obviously confirmed by what happens after Shavuos, when Moshe goes up for 40 days and 40 nights, and they make the golden calf. And I'll say it again. If you look in the Chazals, I think I mentioned it last year, some say that they immediately started thinking about the golden calf, and some say even when they said, they made thinking about a golden calf or something along those lines. And some say 
that the spell of Shavuos lasted a week or two or three weeks or four weeks, whatever. I'm just saying it's not Pasha. And so you have the problematic of a Kabbalah is a part of a tzibur, or the transformation of a tzibur. And again, it's a recently sugula mikol ha'amim, that you want to be a, a chosen people. Why doesn't God simply say, the way we think today, the individuals who want to step forward and be chasidim and anchemaisa, uh, step aboard, and the rest of you will just be regular. But he doesn't say that exactly. He says, I'm, I want to create a polity. Now, what I'm trying to say is like this. Therefore, Shavuos is a lot harder than Rus. Rus represents the individualistic model. There will always be those people, those uh, talented, gifted people, or whatever spiritually endowed people, who uh, you could be a princess of Moab, and you want to join the Klaistral even to be a poor person. And to be perfectly honest, history has many examples of such things. You see? They do. Uh, and these are the famous Geertzetics. But on the other hand, Th- those who do not feel that way, to kind of compel them to go that way, that's not pushing it at all. That's that's a uh, that's the hard part. And Shavuos is all about the collective, about getting even the bad people, if I can use that term, to accept the Torah. Now, what's fascinating is that, according to the story that you and I know, God Himself, in frustration, kind of says to Moshe. Maybe the other sheet is right. Maybe we should go with the individualistic. Notice, maybe the thing for us to do, which is the firm attitude nowadays, is to simply cut off the bad ones. And now I'm referring, of course, to the story when, after they make the golden calf, six, uh, 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 40 days after Shavuos, God says to Moshe, let me wipe the others out and start all over from you. What is that? And Moshe, of course, famously says no. But what's the meaning of that story? What's the meaning of the story? And you see, Hashem is saying, listen, I tried to collect a model. To collect a model didn't work. So let me try a different model. I'll just start with you. You're good. Your family's good. And let's build out of there. This, to use modern terminology, do you kick a kid out of yeshiva, you know what I mean? Do you throw this person out of shawl? Do you, do you, do you simply, uh, you know, sever uh, the bad ones? To be perfectly honest, that has been the firm policy in the last 200 years. They, they kind of see themselves as having no choice. They see themselves having no choice. The, the whole Jewish people started to go, not from, you know, 200, 250 years ago, this process commenced. And uh, those things that we call today orthodox, the definition of orthodox, I'm using this in a modern historical sense. The definition of orthodox means that you're orthodox and not the non-orthodox. It's not a claw you throw a thing anymore uh, because of a whole bunch of reasons. And instead, what you do is you say, well, we're, we're, we're divided into different groups. Uh, and we hope to uh, persuade the others to come over and become Orthodox. But even as you say, you say, well, it'll never really be. You know, it'll never really be. At the most, you hope to pick up uh, some Balchubas along the way, you know, even as you lose some. It becomes a sectarian uh, sort of part- partisan kind of phenomenon. And that was not what uh, Shavuos was about. And the story of Moshe, Rabbein, as we all know, is when Moshe rejects this, right? Moshe says, I don't want to do it with me. You know? Uh, and, uh, how, how does he say? <laughs> Famous line. Uh, Moshe doesn't want to do it that way. Moshe wants to collect a model. So I want you to... Uh, and he kind of forces the... I mean, it's a remarkable story. 
kind of forces the hand of God, and uh, you know, Hashem says, okay, you know, in a, in a very complicated way, Hashem says, okay, we'll 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 redo Shavuos, you know, we'll try again, uh, and uh, that's not the Ruth's model, okay. Now, uh, I'll tell you why I was thinking of this this morning, because uh, it's me. It's always hot pop. It depends what it, where, where, where I'm working on, and uh, you know the. Shavuos is, among other things, the the, fam- the reputed Yartzeh of the Baal Shem Tov, uh, who died in, eight, in 1760. Uh, he's supposed to have died on, on Shavuos. Now, the trouble with Baal Shem Tov, you never have any hard historical evidence of this, that, and the other. But it seems to be, you know, if you if you take the trouble to look it up, it seems to be. And uh, uh, because in the last 40 years, they've actually come up with some historical evidence records of um, of the Baal Shem Tov, and, which is a whole discussion by itself. And uh, on the other hand, there's parts you know, parts you don't know. And there's a wonderful article by a new historian in Israel, Professor Padaya, a lady, where she uh, was analyzing the famous Yigir Sarkodesh of the Baal Shem Tov. And uh, what they say, what the Hasidim say is, that was according to the stories Dalshanto died of uh, despair and had to do with the fact that there was a rise of Shabtai Tzviism and all the rest of it, or to be more honest, that's not, I'm just using words that you'll recognize. It was a movement called the Frankist movement. Uh, a friend of mine, Professor Machiko, is the, the guy who wrote the book on the subject not long ago, 10 years ago. The Frankist movement. And this was, again, to, to, to explain it for this podcast audience, is a shop type sweet type person. Let's just leave it at that. You know, and uh, this happened in the 1750s. And uh, in Poland, especially where, where the Balshemtov lived in southeastern Poland, or what they call today Ukraine. And uh, uh, let's put it this way. Um, it was a big problem. And there was a lot of people joining the movement. And the rabbis at that time were not exactly sure what to do about it. And uh, all they knew is they hated this guy, Frank, who was this Friday guy, that's why they call him Frank, who was becoming popular and doing all kinds of uh, antinomian, orgiastic kind of things in uh, Poland, no, no less. That's right. And uh, it resulted in the fact they wanted to kill him, and he turned to the Catholic Church for protection. And by the time it's all over, they had one of these... Um, what he called disputations in front of the bishop, in which the Frankists, his guys, versus the rabbis, they they uh, had a grand debate. Should the Talmud be burned? You know, should you get rid of the Talmud? Is the Talmud the source of all the bad stuff? And uh, so, no, it's basically the Frankists are like this. You want to stick it to us, we'll stick it to you. And the story goes that the bishop favored the Frankists, and therefore he said, let's burn the Gemaras. And he was going to do it. And this could have unleashed possibly a wave throughout all of Eastern Europe in which they burned all the Gemaras. Such things happened in Jewish history in Western Europe, as we know. This was a major bummer. And uh, because the main Yiddish guy was in Poland, the kingdom of Poland, which is, you know, the whole Eastern Europe at that time. And uh, it didn't happen at the end. The bishop died not long afterwards, and the, the, the burning of the Talmud never happened. However, uh, when the Frankists the story goes, succeeded in getting this accomplished. The rabbis, the Frum, were so angry, they wanted to kill him. 
And the only way, I mean, you know, wherever you went, they wanted to kill you. And the only way the Frankists could um, be saved from this physical vengeance from the regular Jews was to convert to Catholic, and that's what they did. They had a mass conversion to Polish Catholic, which had a whole bunch of consequences of its own. So the story goes, now this is something that's debated among the historians whether it happened, but let's just go with the regular way we understand it. So the Valshanta was one of the people on the rabbi's side participating in the debate. And the question is, what do you do with these mamzerim? And, you know, the you, you might say two approaches presented themselves. I will identify one as Yaakov Emden and the other one is the Baal Shem Tov. And Yaakov Emden, who of course was the famous fierce opponent of any heresy, he said, you know, you got to kill these guys or get them to convert. We have such a model in Jewish thought. I know, again, I don't know if it's exactly historically true, but in Jewish thought, with the Christians, if you read the Toldos Yesha, which is a book written in the 4th century, even though it's above my but nevertheless, it's a classic Jewish thought. The original Christians were a kind of Jewish, and because they were such a bummer, the, they were persuaded, I'm telling you what the Toldos Yesha says, by the rabbis to, um, um, to switch to another religion. And so once called Christianity, that's how Christianity started, according to that book. So basically, you got the bad guys to leave. You understand? To leave Yiddishkeit altogether. And then the Jews were happy because they're not bugging us anymore. It's the same thing over here in the 18th century. Uh, get all these Frankists to convert to Catholic. Get the heck rid of them. Let them all become Goyim, which they did. And Shalom uh, Yisrael. That's one way of viewing it. Uh, and that would be actually a very modern kind of way of thinking some. You got somebody in your community is causing you trouble. If you get rid of them, that's the best. Uh, it's the approach of the surgeon, right? Um, I have a relative of mine who's in medical school. I spoke to him the other day, and I said, a month ago, whatever, and I said, what are you uh, thinking about going into? What kind of medicine do you want to practice? And he said, well, maybe this, maybe it may be a surgeon. Why a surgeon? Surgeon can cure something. Regular doctor only helps you manage the problem. A surgeon can actually cure it when when they can, uh, and that's uh, you know that that is the whole mahalach of a surgeon. You got a problem, we'll cut it out. Uh, it's just interesting. And uh, suppose you have a bad uh, you know uh, aver on the body, cut it out. Uh, obviously, we all know someone has gangrene or something. You have to agree. So. Uh, that was the attitude towards these people who were not, who were heretics. The Balshamta, by contrast, the story goes, uh, was very bitterly opposed to this. And if you read in the uh, writings that the Balshamta attributed to him, he's, and, and if you know how to decode the writings, which I think this professor did a good job on myself, if you know how to decode the writings, he's very bitter about the rabbis and all the rest of it, because basically you don't write any Jew off to use simple language. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the approach. You don't write anybody off. Uh, it's tough, but you, 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 you live with it. And the, in the Shivchei Abesht, it says that the Baal Shanto says, that the Shechina is crying. The Shechina is crying. When, when, you know, when the Aver is still attached to the body, maybe there's a hope. When you cut off the, when you amputate them, forget it. And every person is a part of the Shechina. 
uh, very Jewish idea, very Kuzri type idea. And uh, the fact that they wrote off so many Jews, thousands, I don't know how many, converted, was, you know, is, is a terrible tragedy. Obviously, this is a very mystical way, but an interesting way of understanding the Mishnah that we all heard of, that Hashem in, in, in heaven says, Kalim Hiroshi, Kalim Israel, you know, if somebody gets hurt, then God says, in the Mishnah it says, God says, my arm hurts, or this hurts, or that hurts, which means every Jew is, you know, mystically a piece of, a, of, of Hashem. The Shechina, obviously not literally, but you know what I mean. And uh, and any uh, loss of it, if, if you amputate any of them, it's like an unbelievable tragedy. And and this killed him, meaning this put him in a depression and uh, eventually uh, led to, uh, you know, his demise. On on the day the Torah was given. Now, uh, again, on the day the Torah was given, meaning the day that that is the opposite of what I just said. And when all the Jewish people, including the bad ones, got the Torah... Uh, uh, I just was looking around, I see Nachum Bressler, not that I'm a Bressler person or anything, I guess, says that the Valshanto says, Shenasalu Shnein the Coven Belibo, the Maisel Shoshats, Shoshabtaitzvi, Mazen Nistalek. He had two holes in his heart, you know, as a result. And it's obviously referring to what I just told you before, that, uh, you know, all these people left Judaism, so it's like a mass amputation. Masha Enkain, if you re- read in the writings of Yaakov Emden, he said this was Gavaldic. They got rid of these bumps. Uh, and so, it, and again, and the Vashemtor then dies, you know, uh, not long afterwards, on the holiday of Shavuos, which is, you know, the epitome of the other approach. The other approach being, you have to, somehow, other, you know, bear with them. The closest analogy that comes to my mind, you know, the closest analogy that comes to my mind is, the terrible tragedy that does happen, what if somebody is a real bad member of the family, let's say a bad kid? God forbid it should never happen to anybody, but it does. So what if you have a bad kid whose mom's a danger to the others and all the rest of it? You know, we hear these stories, you know, they do happen. Suppose, for example, this is a terrible thing. Suppose, for example, you have five kids in the family and one of them becomes like a heavy druggie and is going to uh, infect the others, you know, going to go to mess over the other children. Either he'll physically harm them, or he'll get them hooked on drugs, or something like that. You know, you hear such stories. And I say again, God forbid it should never happen to anybody. What does a parent do? You say, what does a parent do? When I present the story in that way, you see the essence of the Shuas thing I'm talking about. Because the parents, are, in that case, are faced with the terrible question, do I do a Yaakov Emden, do I do a Baal Shem Tov? You know, what do I do? On the one hand, nobody wants to lose a child. And nobody wants to cut off the aver, so to speak. On the other hand, it's a gangrene. You understand? What are you supposed to do? One's going to hurt the other. Uh, obviously, and, and by the way, many family situations, you hear of this, they, you know, the parents and the responsible peoples in the family find themselves compelled to say, we're cutting off all relations with this kid. You know? It just doesn't, it cannot work. It's not possible, you know. You have to, and this is the philosophy of the of the surgeon. You have to cut off the one to save the other, right? You see, you, you just do. As I said before, you can be all the balshemtov you want. If it's a if it's a gangrene, if it's a, it's a rapidly spreading disease in the body, you have no choice. You have no choice, right? To be perfectly honest, even in the story of the golden calf, uh, they end up killing the perpetrators, don't they? And the levium that do it are considered very great. What happened to Shavuos? 
couple weeks before when they said all the Jewish people see Amalek is calling him Goy Kadosh. It's, it's complex, you see? Um, it's complex. On the other hand, uh, it's it's You know, Moshe didn't want to do that. You know, it's not what he had in mind. Now, um, on the other hand, you know, some families are able, and again, it, it goes without saying, we're not judging anybody. Some families are able to somehow or other, you know, keep up the, the connection with the eventual hope that will bring the uh, the bad kid around. You know, bad kid around. And uh, everyone does it in their own way to deal with these uh, kind of situations. And I'm simply bringing this case out to show you, you can't give pat answers, simple answers. You can't just say, do this or do that, or Yaakov Emdun was right, or Baal Shem was right, or all the others. But it, I, I, I mention all this to foreground the very interesting notion in, in Shavuos, which is man man Torah say new, that the Torah is given to the collective, to everybody, and uh, and they and the how should I put it? And the song and dance, the whole show, is obviously directed toward the ones who need it. Uh, when the Torah was given, you have six hundred thousand men and so and so many other women, say two three million people. Uh, many people in the time of Shabbat, I'm sure, would have said like this: Who wants the Torah? Sign me up. Right? Yeah, you're tzaddikim. Sign me up. Uh, do you need gilushchina? No. Do you need kolos ubrakim, the kol shofar, and kol gadol yourself? No. If Hashem wants me to do it, I'm willing to do it. The people I'm talking about didn't need no kafalim hakagigas. But then there's the others, <laughs> right? To the other members of the family, the other members of the community, and clearly, God didn't want to say. And this would have been, by the way, an interesting story. Uh, whoever wants to accept the Torah, come on up, uh, come on up the mountain, and the rest of you go back to Egypt. No, no times, no times. I brought you all here to give you the chance, and here's the opportunity. And uh, if you want it, you want it. If you don't want it, go back. No, no times. It's not like that. Hashem said nobody's allowed to go back to Egypt. Everybody has to accept the Torah. And if they have the reluctant ones among them, I'll do hakaflam harkigigus. I'll compel them in some way. And so, you end up with a story, at least it seems to me, with a very problematized story of Shavuos as a, as a communal forcing. And that indicates this idea, like the Baal Shem Tov time idea, that the whole Jewish people are part of the Shekhinah or something like that. In other words, in order for the Torah to work properly, you have to have the whole Jewish people uh, you know, coming along. Uh, when you don't have all the Jewish people, uh, you know, on the same page, then things are not the way it's supposed to be. If you're the Maharal, you'll say when you don't have all the Jewish people the way they're supposed to be, I repeat, all Jewish people, then you're a matzah of Gaulus. No, then don't be surprised if in the external sense, this problematic of not having the whole Jewish people lined up the way they're supposed to be expresses itself in the physical sense in the loss of Israel, um, in, in either 100%, 90%, 10%, or whatever. Now, what I'm saying is very, um, what's the right word, uh, you know, uh, thought-provoking and problematic, because we have not had everybody lined up ever since the goals of the 10 tribes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know, uh, I, when I say this, I don't know what the answer is. The Torah was given to all 12 tribes, 13, whatever. Uh, fine. Uh, and somehow or other, 
they got everybody to accept the Torah and, you know, even with the problems along the way, they eventually get to Israel. But long, long ago, most of the tribes are lost. Um, in the, I would remind you that in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, it was a debate whether they're coming back or not. Is the Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Lezer, I always forget who says what. But uh, I think Rebbe says they're not coming back, I think. But I, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, wait a minute. So you're telling me that the Torah, in order to run properly, needs all 12 tribes. But we haven't had that for about 3,000 years, or 25, 2,800 years. And this has been reflected in the fact that the Jewish people have had a kind of gullah since that day. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. There was a time, long ago, when the whole Eretz Yisrael, uh, well, even then it wasn't perfect, but let's say the whole Eretz Yisrael was in the hand of the Jews, at least from the time of Yerob Masheni. The whole Eretz Yisrael was in the hand of the Jews. But that was a very short time. About 40 years or 50 years after the whole Eretz Yisrael was in the hands of the Jews, the ten tribes were uh, removed. So ever since then, uh, the Jewish people have not controlled the whole of Eretz Yisrael. The Hashemunayim did sort of in a very complicated way for five minutes. But ever since then, not. So, for example, today, you have the modern state of Israel. I mean, <laughs> you know, now they're talking about Trump's plan to annex part of the West Bank and all the rest of it. Uh, the West Bank, as we call it, that's where the Jews used to live. <laughs> um, and they very yearning. And we don't have that. So there's been... It's a funny case in which you have a gullus and you don't have a gullus. You understand? You have a gullus and you don't have a gullus, and uh, it's a funny it's a funny uh, set of circumstances, which is reflected uh, so powerfully in my mind with the fact that you have the Kotel and the state of Israel controls the harbais, but we don't control the harbais. You know what I mean? You control it and you don't control it. Uh, and if they try to make a move in there, get rid of the mosque, or hell break loose. So. It's a very, uh, you know, uh, it's a gullus, but it's a very unusual gullus, let's put it that way. Um, now, as I said before, the individualistic model is an easier one. Everybody likes to read the Book of Ruth because there's no, there's no negativity in it. She was a Gerzedek, and at the end she has a happy ending. But uh, the Shavuot story is more complex. Because once you do have to acuflum harkagigas on it, you already see uh, the fact that the, the, the problematic in the future, anything was forced on somebody, they're not going to really want to do so well. And think of what I'm about to say. Everybody knows the Gemara says, Mikan Modor Rabbal Araisa, that the Kabbal Sator was flawed, and the Jewish people had a Modor, a complaint against the the uh, the, the Kabbalah Satoru, until Achashverosh. I think we all know that Gemara. Then a time of Purim, the Jewish people, uh, you know, accepted the Torah. Uh, wait a minute. By the time of Achashverosh, the ten tribes were gone. You understand? Who was left at the time of Achashverosh and, 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 and Haman? The answer is, the two tribes, you know, Yehudim, Benyamin, and the Kohanim, Levim, a, a portion, as the Baal Shem would say, a portion of the torso was left, but the majority of the torso, the majority of the body, was gone. Right? 
That's what it seems. Don't tell me that the ten tribes were Makabal the Torah, the Ahava, the time Machashverish, because where are they? Even though the Persian Empire did include, one would think, the ten tribes, you know, somewhere, but we have no record, as you and I know, that uh, these people came out of the woodwork and said, now we want to be Jewish. That would be a nice Hasidic vart, you know, but, uh, but there's no evidence of that. And so it means they were already lost by the time you get to the Persians, to Ahasuerus. So that means the entire time that the Jews were in, in possession of Israel, the 12 tribes, and so when you read the stories later on about the Jews in the book of, uh, you know, Shoftim and uh, Shmuel and Malachim, especially Malachim and Devayamim, and all the Avodah that was running around in Israel, you say, how can you do Avodah Zarah in Israel? Now you're in Israel, you should worship Hashem and, you know, all that. No, Mikan Madar Rabbalah this was forcing us, we didn't want to accept it. And, uh, and and according to the Gemara, it's a taina, right? Only later on, when they were makabalit, believe shalim in the time of Hashem, it's not a taina anymore. But until then, it was a taina. So that means the entire Bayes Rishon period is a taina. Every time you say, what about Shavuos? They say, well, that was a couple of Harkagigas. So, uh, I'm simply throwing these ideas out because uh, here in Baltimore, I don't know what to do, it looks like it's going to be raining on Shavuos. And uh, I don't think there will be a minyanim exactly. And many of you listening will be in other cases where um, the whole world's now trying to um, detach itself from the corona isolation. But we're feeling our way forward. Nobody knows exactly how it's going to turn out. And uh, what I'm saying is a lot of people I expect will be with their immediate families on Shavuos. And I think some of the ideas I threw out with you today throughout to you, are worthy of adults' um, discussion. And, uh, you know, uh, these ideas of communitarian versus individualistic, of uh, the Gertzedek, as it were, versus the Kuflam Harkagigas, uh, the idea of what do you do with a part of the uh, people when they're not there, how would we possibly apply what I'm talking about today? How would you say you want the whole claw you throw when so many people are anti from they it's not only you're not interested, they're anti. How do you simply say, well, we want you uh, aboard? Um, you know, in a, in a serious kind of way. Uh, on the other hand, there's no question, and with this I conclude, that the current Jewish situation is very tragic. And we have, as I said before, a situation which, is, it, you know, the, the whole body of the Jewish people is, is in bad shape. Maybe a, a finger or two, an ava or two, are from, you know. Uh, it's not true today that most of the Jewish people are from, and a few aren't. It's all the way around. Uh, this is the modern era in Jewish history. We've never, I don't think we've ever had this exactly. And how do we relate this to the holiday of Kabbalah Zatar when the whole Jewish people, by the time the process was over, were Makabal Zatar, when the whole Jewish people, whether it took Nasim and Ishmael, I mean, whether it took Kaufman, Harkigigas or not, eventually got around saying Nasim and Ishmael, what is it that could get the whole Jewish people today? Uh, what compelling uh, phenomenon would get the whole cholesterol today saying Nasim and Ishmael? These are hard questions. Right? These are hard questions. And uh, I th- I'll just conclude by saying, you know, uh, how do the from regard the other Jews? 
are they uh, do they think that you know well we're going to bring them aboard or do they think well they're just going to disappear on their own they're just going to you know for the intermarriage whatever you read now the reform and conservative are going to combine you know they're going down don't worry about them uh you were back to the machlokas of Yaakov Endon versus the Baal Shem Tov. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to throw a few of these ideas at you. And I hope that um, Shavuos, therefore, will be, more about, uh, will be about more than simply a cheesecake. Although I just have to share this with you. I was looking last night, just for the heck of it, in the Kavachayim. You know, in the chapter in the Shulchan Aruch, which is about Shavuos, there's one chapter about the uh, Tzadi Dalad, about the laws of Shavuos. And he said, he talked about this cool custom of making uh, long chalas with four heads, which means they roughly approximate what the Shtei uh, Alechem look like. Um, do you know anything about that custom? I had never seen that. Uh, again, long chalas with four heads. You know, uh, how would you make a chala that comes up? Not Obviously not exactly the way they did in basic English, but something similar to that. Could you make a chala with four parts and what would be the symbolism of a lechem with four heads nowadays? Especially when the whole book of Rus is replete with references to lechem, isn't it, right? As a, you know, base lechem and all the rest of it. Uh, anyway, just a few ideas out there and have a good yanta. Bye-bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.